This episode of That Does Suit Madam is brought to you by Ear Be Gone Cellotape by Grace Brothers. If your ears tend to protrude, try Ear Be Gone and you're in the mood. Mr. Brandon, are you free? I'm free. Ground Hey, I'm Jeff. Hey, and I'm Brandon, and this is That Does Suit Madam, a podcast about Are You Being Served? Hello. Hello, Unanimous. Hello, Gladys. Hello, Mr. Jeff. Hello, Unanimous. Hello, Mr. Brandon. How are you doing this evening? <sighs> I'm good. I'm good. Um, we're well on our way through season eight. Um, we have a, we have m- less episodes in the future than we have in the past, which is oh, a bit sad. Oh, that's sad to think of it like that. <sighs> but then we have Are You Being Served Again? And then, you know, the Australian version and then All that of strange our Austrian version. <laughs> Yeah, das das tut madam, ja. Das ist gut, ja. Yeah, um I don't know, there's this this whole week has been feeling like we're on the cusp of something as feeling. as a country, as a society. Uh they just announced yesterday that just very deep, very quick. Go on. <laughs> that adolescents between 12 and 16 can get the Pfizer vaccine. Things are opening up more and more. It's I, a lot I more jacksies full of vaccine. That's yeah, great. I have the feeling that we're on a cu- the cusp of something big here. So um, keep doing what you're doing, Unanimous. We love it. Yeah. And, um, you know, how lucky were you in the States? Uh, because there's vaccines flowing out our taps. Um, you just put your head underneath and just drink it and you're vaccinated almost. <laughs> um, you know, lots of other places in the world aren't that lucky. So That's I'm true. looking forward to... Uh, you know, India and Brazil and Canada, for that matter, Mexico, everywhere to yeah. get um, even the UK, you know, but we're super lucky here in the States. So hopefully the rest of the world will be catching up um, with us soon. Uh, we got some Facebook love this past week from Alex, Kelly, Brandon and Terry Ann. Thank you and welcome to the fray. We got a lovely. It, wasn't me, it was another Brandon. <laughs> we got a lovely email from Jim from Arizona <laughs> thanking us for a shout out. We gave him a couple of episodes back. Hello again, Jim, and thank you for that $30 uh, check you sent us for that shout-out. We do sell checks. We do sell shout-outs. Maybe we should do that. Like, give us 50 bucks, and we'll mention your name. Could you imagine? (laughs) No, it was super cool to hear from you, Jim, so thanks for that. And while you're at it, everyone, please continue to wear a mask, wash your hands, and Black and Lives Black Matter. Black Lives Matter. Yes, indeed. So, Mr. Brandon, shall we talk about Series 8, Episode 6, Closed Circuit? Yeah, why the hell are we on this podcast right now instead of, I don't know, reorganizing our sock drawers? Um, <laughs> yeah, t- take us back. I actually need to do that. I've got, considering that I haven't worn a lot of socks in the past 14 months, I really should get on that and donate a lot of or them. Or pants, right? let's just be honest. I mean, <laughs> yeah. raise your hand out there in a unanimous land if you haven't worn a lot of pants in the last So year. this episode premiered on May 21st, 1981. And that week in the news, starting with a downer, um, mm-hmm. Pope John Paul II is shot and critically wounded by Turkish gunman Mehmet Ali Ayya in uh, St. Peter's Square, Vatican City. But he did recover, so it was not uh, an assassination. Um, In happier news, the second iteration of SCTV aired in U.S. and Canada after Midnight Special. So SCTV is Second City TV. Sounds Uh, familiar. Yeah, it it was. It's a a comedy troupe that was founded in Toronto because they, you know, meant to be the second city of North America. Um, And oh, it's like SNL almost, but like for Maple Leafs people. Yeah, it's uh, it's a sketch comedy series. Uh, starring um, John Candy, Eugene Levy, Rick Moranis, Catherine O'Hara, Martin Short, and Dave Thomas. Like if you've ever thought, if you've ever thought about the McKenzie brothers, like those two Canadian guys that drink the beers and talk about the moose, like that that eighties um, comedy style, that came from SCTV. You know, I have to say, um, Schitt's Creek is like if you've not seen Schitt's Creek. Damn you. Um, it's <laughs> yeah. such a good show. And, of course, Eugene Levy and uh, Catherine O'Hara both came from this. Sh- like, they have known each other and yep. worked almost exclusively together. Well, not almost, but, you know, they've almost always done stuff together. Um, yep. 
What's the and, guy who did the movie? And a lot of the, Christ- the Christopher Guest movies. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So funny, so droll. And I think um, if you like Are You Being Served, you probably like comedy that's so dry it kind of cracks, <laughs> you know, and like it, it, it burns your skin when it goes past you. Well, um, all of those Christopher Guest mockumentaries are hysterical <laughs> because I think they put, they were cringeworthy before cringe was a thing, right? Because they're just so absurd. Like, I, I cannot watch... Best in show. I cannot watch The American Office because it's too real. It hits a little bit too close to home. Like, I don't find that kind of cringe funny. But when mm-hmm. you look, think about the characters in Waiting for Guffman, Best in Show, the other one, uh, uh, A Mighty Wind. A Mighty um, Wind. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, it's it's absurdist cringe, and that I yeah. really find funny. Maybe that's actually a good episode topic one day. Maybe like when we wrap up this series before we go to the next, we can say, okay, if you like Are You Being Served, here are some other things that we think you might like. Maybe it can be a listener thing where people like phone in. Maybe we revive the I Am Unanimous in this <gasps> segment. Ooh, maybe it's a segment called You Are Unanimous. <laughs> See what I did? Whoa. Gladys likes it. Okay. Um, true Confessions, I've never seen an entire episode of Shit's Creek. I watched the first We have half... to stop the podcast and, oh, no. and Jeff has to. Leave meeting. I understand. I understand. Um, <sighs> Send hate mail to that, uh, that does suit <laughs> madam at gmail. Um, 662peacock. I watched the first half of the first episode when it um, aired live many years ago, when it was like, I think they, they, it was originally aired on CTV in Canada. And I think like the next day or the next week or whatever, it aired on Trio or whatever the Bravo um, spinoff channel was at that time. Um, Maybe it was Sundance or IFC, one of those channels. And and I just didn't get it. The Poutine Network. I just, I I don't know. I'm sorry. Everyone tells me that it's my kind of humor. I would love it, but. Just sit your ass down and watch it. And then you'll like, oh, okay. I see now. I know. I need to kind of force myself to do it. You know what I think? You know what I think might be one of the distractors from it is I can't stand Chris Elliott. And I never have been able to. Oh, he plays like the mayor. Like Mr. Shit. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of, you kind of, and there's so much great around him. I know. Catherine O'Hara, yeah. Eugene Levy, Dan Levy. I mean, anyway. Hunk okay. of spunk right Fine. there, I just have to say. <laughs> if, um, you're, if you're a listener, Dan, Dan Levy, Levy or Levy? Don't know. Levy, right? Um, I think so. Uh, anyway, third, uh, which has a very special place in my heart, is um, the song Betty Davis Eyes by Kim Carnes hit number one and was and it will stay there on the charts for the next nine weeks. Oh, Betty and, Davis Eyes, that's yeah. Huh. Um, this is my first pop culture memory. Oh. Is that song? I was obsessed with it when I was a small child, and it foretold much about <laughs> you. <laughs> and I, I, I've been thinking a lot about this, this, this uh, in between preparing for this episode and the recording about why I loved it so much. And I think it's because one, um, Kim Carnes' voice is that deliciously raspy, like voice. smokers kind of like right. she's yeah. Second, cool. Yeah, I hear you. Second, it's lyrically complex, and I've always had an appreciation for lyrically complex songs. Like how vociferous of you! <laughs> um, <laughs> like when do you, when have you ever heard the word precocious used in a pop song in a top forty song? You know, I'm sure something of the Pet Shop Boys, but besides <laughs> them, they are very lyrically complex. I think. She's precocious, and she's got just what it takes to make a pro blush. All the boys think she's a spy. She's got Betty Davis eyes. I had no idea who Betty Davis was. Probably, and I don't think I even put two and two together until maybe I was like 14 or 15 who Betty Davis was, that that's the same one that Kim Carnes was talking about. Mm, yeah. But um, always have a special place in my heart for that song. Well, that's sweet. So it was a big, big week. In May 1980, the end of May 1981. That's right. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, listeners, um, tell us what your first remembrance, uh, your first memory of pop culture was. Phone it into the 662 Peacock Hotline and we'll share it on our next episode. Yeah, we have been getting some good um, voicemails. 
Um, and we don't play all of them, but it's always good to have some interesting stuff from the unanimous. I think something I think would be fun is the kind of way we mentioned already doing like a listener episode where we would need a lot of folks. So it's kind of stay tuned is all I'm saying. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that later. So, uh, all right. So we know what happened the week that this episode originally aired. Um, what happens in the episode when we start? So over the opening credits, we see Mrs. Slocum serving a customer on the floor. And then we see the same scene from the vantage point of a television screen. So this is kind of a throwback to series two, Big Brother, where um, Mr. Clegg with the petty pilferer, where Mr. Rumbold got got obsessed with watching everyone on the TV, right? I got confused because I thought this was that episode and I thought, didn't we already do this back, you know, but... It, it seems like a strange title for the episode, um, Closed Circuit, because you picture like a, a, a spy camera or right. something, but yeah, we, we find that that's not really the case. No, total, total, mm. total misdirect in terms of the uh, episode title here. Um, Peacock tells Mr. Spooner and Mr. Jeffries to set up the, the table for the meeting, um, and Mr. the actor who plays Mr. Klein does, has a very weird choice here. He remains frozen in his open position until his cue after Mr. Humphreys leaves, you know, uh, uh, moves to start getting, putting the table away. And then he tells okay. Captain Peacock that he can't stay at the meeting very long because he's got to um, pick up his wife from the dentist and there's a throwaway line, right? Meanwhile, yeah. the ladies are trying to play hooky. They've got their coats on and they're halfway up the stairs before Captain Peacock calls them back. Oh, was it tonight? Oh, I forgot. Right. Um, but I have to say this episode, it looms large in my memory. One, because of the special guest star who I don't mm-hmm. know if he was really big at the time in 1981, but he yes, grew he to be a big, big, powerful player in British TV. Yep. And also the scene... <laughs> Of Mrs. Slocum calling her neighbor Mr. Akbar. Um, for some reason, the inter- interplay between her and her neighbor on the phone, I think, is m- most people's memory of what Mrs. Slocum is as a person. Um, right? I, it, I, I, it just seems like it's such a big episode for both of those scenes. So here's the thing. I remember this joke with Mr. Akbar. Right. It's very I- quoted, I think. I do not remember any other part of this entire episode. <gasps> no. Not even the special guest star. I, 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 none of it rang a bell. Anyway. And I know you, Mr. Humphreys, like that. I can, I can quote the whole thing. I don't know. <laughs> of course, it's a Humphreys-related thing, so I'm obsessing over it. So speaking of the joke that uh, she tells, uh, that Mrs. Slocum <laughs> tells Mr. Akbar. Um, because she's being held late at the meeting, she has to call the neighbor to uh, feed Tittles. And, of course, but, what is she concerned about but her cat? But what she tells him instead is, look through the letterbox, and if you could see my pussy, would you drop a sardine on the mat? Right? <laughs> but it's funny. She even does this thing where, uh, I want you to go to my front door, crouch right. down. Play-by-play instructions. Yeah, and it's like you picture like when he's crouching down. Somehow that adds another layer of, like, supposed sex to it all, mm-hmm. um, which is just so cute. And then, would you drop a sardine on the mat? And then, of course, <laughs> she has to walk away. So cute. That is, it's so, and, of course, it's her quintessential innocence, you know, that she's so oblivious to, to her, her using the, the, the P word. I don't even know what to say it. <laughs> And of course, you can picture like you know, just like in that movie, Beautiful Thing, our my our favorite gay film from nineteen ninety six. Um, there was a scene. I remember when I was a kid in Arkansas. It was a scene after um, Steve's father beats him, mm-hmm. and Steve is staying with Jamie and his mom. Anyhow, yep. so it's the scene when Sandra, Jamie's mother, goes next door. And bangs on the door and starts yelling at Steve's father because you, know, like, you just beat up your son. You can't do this. So what she did is she crouched down, just like Mr. Mrs. That's Sloan, true. Through the letter box. And she opens the letter, the little lid to the letter hole. No, what's it called? Letterbox. The letter slot, I guess. The mail slot. And she shouted. And she, of course, she can see through their house. And she sh- she saw his dad on the couch, like being drunk and whatever. And then started shouting at him. So it's like, oh, okay. 
When I was a kid in Are You Being Served, I didn't know what, why would you push a, a fish through the door? That doesn't make sense. But in the UK, they have like a little hole in their door where the postman or postwoman can, you know, put the mail through. Well, a little different when you have like the little box on the end of your driveway in Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't really work. So the whole reason why they're having this after work meeting is because guess what? Sales figures are down. They were the worst last week on record. Oh, yeah. Um, and so they're trying to figure out why it's happening in this store because Lally and Willits aren't suffering from the recession. Um, and Captain Peacock remarks, yes, they've got young man- management with drive and ideas of their own. A <laughs> little bit of foreshadowing here mm. about a trick that Mr. Rumbold is going to pull that he's done several times in the It's so in the funny series. that he's like, there needs to be youth. Well, of course, he's like this, the old squarest guy, yep. you know. Oh, funny. So Mr. Humphreys um, remarks that they've got a TV screen in the lobby that tells all of the passers-by what's happening mm-hmm. in the store and all the specials. Right. Mr. Rumble loves the idea and passes it off to old Mr. Grace as his own, as he is wont to do. I've had a good idea. Right. Yeah. So Mr. Grace approves it, and the next day they're setting up to film something on the department floor, right, that's going to be shown mm-hmm. on the television uh, on the street. And so Mr. Humphreys introduces his friend, Mr. Fortescue. So should we spend two seconds and explain what friend means in 1981? Because I think that might be lost these days. Well, here's the thing is that <laughs> later, a little bit later on, you know, when Mr. Humphreys and Mr. Fortescue were talking, he goes, one drink does not a friendship make. So I don't know if they like if they really were like lovers, if that's what the the intention was here, or if they just were acquaintances, or they had like a common friend or something. Well, I you know? think historically, I mean, especially in the seventies, early eighties, I don't think this really happened in the nineties, maybe, but I think the the kind of the the time capsule element of this, you didn't say like oh. This is my lover. This is my boyfriend. This is right. every like straight people couldn't even say it. So they would always describe people as his friend, you know, right. or my roommate, right? Right. So the fact that like you often hear with Mr. Humphreys people talking about him and him, himself refer to people as my friend, right? Mm-hmm. Which is kind of gay um, shorthand to say, like, someone I might be, you know, intimately involved with. What makes you think Don't it's you him? Think? Like, anytime, right. that, anytime that anyone insinuates of one of Mr. Humphrey's friends, it's usually not a lover. And I don't think that Mr. Fortescue is his lover either. I really think they are acquaintances at best. Well, I think Mr. Fortescue might be uh, placing his intentions in a place where they are not welcomed Via Mr. Mr. Humphreys, but well, we get we all, we get a little bit of a misdirect here. But anyway, before we get into that, <laughs> um, Mr. Fortescue was a special guest star that you were referring to earlier. Yay! One of the things that makes this such a big episode, uh, it is the third appearance of Gordon Kay, better known as uh, Renee from Hello, Hello, Hello. You stupid um, woman. Uh, he, for those of you playing along at home, he originally played uh, Mr. Tomiades. <laughs> it was the Yuzo that speak, but now the bottle now is the empty. Now the bottle is empty. <laughs> um, and Gabardine Angus, the plastic Mac. Oh, the my God. The paparazzi, right? Yeah, so funny. So yeah. the, whole, the whole idea of the film they're going to show is they're going to choose one member of the, of the department, interview all of the others about what's happening in the store. Yeah, and they, they of course, call it like a Parkinson-esque thing, who Parkinson was a very famous, I don't know, yeah. I think he's still around, but yep. he's like a chat show host. Yeah. So like kind of like the talking head with a microphone, as we'll see um, Mr. Rumble does. But yeah, yeah. it's it was very square, by the way. Love it. Yeah. And of course, Mr. Rumble nominates himself to this because <laughs> he's the most senior and he thinks he is the most congenial and the most um, vivacious and the most... Camera ready, Interesting. which he's not, right? So they're all having a look at what they look at, like on camera because they brought out a TV monitor to show so they could get a sense of what it looks like on camera. And we mm-hmm. see and we hear Miss Brahms say, here, have a deco, 
when she I you know, thought about that. I, when I, she pushes I, I herself, hope you wouldn't explain it. Yeah, when she when she get, when she positions herself in front of the camera and um, encourages her um, colleagues to have a look at the uh, monitor. So this is not Cockney rhyming slang, and it's not Polari. This is um, a straight up loan word from Hindi. It is the Hindi word for look. Oh, so it's it's almost like Cockney rhyming slang, but not rhyming and not Cockney. <laughs> it's and not Hindi. slang. It's just a straight up loan word. That is interesting. But yeah. you know, I, I want to jump back to when uh, Mrs. Mrs. Slocum says, "Oh, look! I can see myself on telly. I've always wanted to see what I look like." It's such a again time capsule thing because back in 1981, most people had never seen their image on a screen. Of course, 2021, like, oh, right, yeah, all we do is see our selfie, and of course, I do anyway. Um, but back then, like, it was quite a, um, a novelty. If you ever watch, like, just go to YouTube and look up family video 1980 or something, and if you watch people kind of uh, for some reason back then, you would have like a camcorder, mm-hmm. um, and you would always have it connected to the TV so you could see what the, was being filmed. Recorded uh, live so that people, it's almost like a monitor, right? Yeah. Which we don't happen, it doesn't happen now. Like whatever is being filmed, only the person with the camera can see, right? But back then it was like, holy shit. (laughs) It's like a whole TV station inside this machine. Yeah. And whenever you watch it, you see people like just staring at the camera or staring at the TV screen, like transfixed, especially little kids, you know? Um, and you kind of see that in Mrs. Slocum. Like, she was like, oh, look, I've, and she just sort of, it was, anyway, it's just a weird thing that back then that was like an absolute insane thing that you can see yourself on TV. Because back then TV was like this magical altar upon high on the mountain that only yep. Hollywood. Elizabeth yeah. Taylor and Spike <laughs> Milligan jumping out of a boat or whatever. You know? So it is funny that they were like, oh, I want to take a look. I want to take a deco, right? So um, Mr. Fortescue asks Mr. Humphreys for a private word, and they both mince away, which I think is hysterical. (laughs) They both have their separate mincing walks, right? And I love how they mince in in synchronicity. Right. In sync, but with a different walk, right? It wasn't like they both had the same, like, prance, 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 prance. It was definitely like, okay, these are both gay men, audience. Like, it's very clear. So Mr. Fortescue goes, I have a little problem. <laughs> and Mr. Humphreys looks quizzically pleasant. It's like, oh, like interested. Like, oh, is, you know, do we have this? No, 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 not, not that, not that. So I don't know what that means. Well, th- th- this is the gay joke. It's not the, the, I'm not introducing my friend. This is the gay joke. Because the problem, quote unquote, is homosexuality. That's what's and implied. Here. I thought it was like erectile dysfunction. No, 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 no. <laughs> Maybe that's a very twentieth century, like twenty first century thing. Yeah. Um, interesting. So the problem yeah. is that Mr. Rumbold is not as um, camera ready as he thinks he is, mm. and um, Mr. Fortescue has a reputation for being very direct with the talent. So he needs Mr. Humphreys to kind of translate to be his interpreter. To say what he uh, gets him to convey his wishes uh, to the staff to be their talent, right? Yep. I mean, look at that head. It, it, it's shining like the Dome of St. Paul's. It's the top half of Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> I love how he says, it's like it's shining like the Dome of St. Paul's. I mean, he's just so <laughs> London when he says that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Mr. Humphreys borrows Mrs. Slickham's foundation powder at 10 p a carton. And uh, applies a generous heaping to remove some of the shine. I have to say, I love it when Mrs. When uh, so Mr. Humphrey says, uh, "Can you bring me some of your powder, love?" And she says, "Which one do you want?" And he's like, "Oh, it doesn't matter." And then she says, "I'll give you the one you didn't use before," <laughs> <laughs> which means like Mr. Humphrey's borrowed her powder for her, right. for his for his own face for his own face because oh. he knew he was going to be on camera and he is used to being on stage because he was in the Sunshine Troop or whatever Sunshine it was. Gerp Babes or something. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I just assumed it was for his everyday wear. Yeah. <laughs> Switching from day to evening. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then uh, we hear Ford as you say, well, we've got to do something about those ghastly ears. And then we get our sponsor 
for the uh, Ear Be Gone cello tape company to pin his ear back. Uh, and yes. then he gets uh, Rumble to try on a toupee. Um, the toupee was actually rather realistic. Like, usually when we get a toupee <laughs> joke, it's either askew, it's on backwards, it's comical, but this actually looked like a head of hair. Well, if you think about, like, the newsmen of the 1980s in yep. the, in the um, TV world, their hair looked fake. I mean, there was so yes. much, like hairspray and lacquer and it just all looked even like ken from barbie and ken yep the hair that, that that's was what like it looked like on, it that's looked exactly it looked like, like yeah. that yeah it's true yeah. so mr rumbold introduces mrs slocum and she's very deadpan in her delivery it's all happening in my underwear today i've got <laughs> things that are bigger better and cheaper than anywhere else then she turns on this mave west impression so Come up and see me sometime. Come up and see me sometime. <laughs> and of course, the audience erupts. They love it. And uh, because you know. because Mrs. Slocum could be a Mae West character, which we will see not too distant future. That's uh, that's true in season ten. We'll see huh? it in, in season. Cannot 10. wait. I mean, if she had played, if Molly Sugden had played Mrs. Slocum as Mae West this entire time. She would have. There would have been no need for Mr. Humphreys. Oh right? shit! That's a that's a hot take right there. Because wow. she would have taken all of her pussy jokes to the next level. She would have like burnt all of the air in the room in every scene. Because it would have gone from her being innocent and not understanding the double entendre. Mm, oh yeah. To her being in on the joke. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's a that's a really good part of her persona is that she's she is a a a, a waif waifish country girl from the north in, right. in her heart. The only one who is in on the double entendres is Mister Humphreys and sometimes Mister Masher, Mister Harmon. <laughs> yeah. Everyone yeah. else, Captain Peacock is yeah. the straight man. Everyone else, the double entendre is lost on. That's yeah, true. Mr. Fortescue is not happy about Mrs. Slocum's looks either. You've got to go tell her she looks at least 110. <laughs> so he is not happy with much, Mr. Fortescue. No, <laughs> And it's not so cute how Mr. Humphreys, you know, he, everyone's just like bad-mouthing everything that everyone's doing. And then Mr. Fortescue is like, and they look like shit. Can you go tell them, Mrs. Mr. Humphreys? And then he puts on his little happy little gay face, smiley. And walks over with his prance, and he says, "You're doing such a great job, Mister Mister Rumble." Compliment, oh, compliment, lovely, lovely suggestion. Yeah, yeah. We're it just having a trouble with a bit of the lighting. Would you mind? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they reference the 1937 film Lost Horizon. They're talking about Shangri La, which is kind of like the um, the Fountain of Youth, right? Okay. Um, so Lost Horizon was directed by Frank Capra, who oh. also did It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so it starred Ronald Coleman, who, um, if you look him up on Google Images or Wikipedia, you'll recognize the face. He was in Kismet with Marlena Dietrich. He's got that very typical 1930s actor look. Okay. Um, you know who he looks like? Um, Tell me. Gordon Gale. The one that was always with Lucy who played like the foil to Lucy when he was like the waiter or the bank manager or whatever. Okay. I think yep. I got it. Yeah. He kind of looks like that. Um, and then the other star of the movie was Jane Wyatt from father knows best. That's really going back. That's going um, back. Yeah. I haven't watched those DVDs yet, <laughs> but one day. So he's setting it up and, you know, getting Mrs. Silkham to pretend she's in Shangri-La. And, and so, you know, remember... You know that film in Shangri-La with yeah. the lost horizon, da-da-da, yeah. And the little girl didn't listen to the, uh, to, to the priest and ended up being 110. Well, love, you're halfway down the valley. You're going to have to back up. And we see her <laughs> getting frustrated and her face is scrunching up. Yeah. She gives that, that perfect, like, sour face, Mrs. That's, Slocum, Molly that's sour face, exactly. There's another joke where it's like, um, well, if life was a highway, and if all of life was a drive from London to Glasgow, you'd be well past Manchester by now, or something <laughs> like that. I forgot which joke, that which episode that was on, but it's just the idea of... There's an A point and a B point, and you're going down towards B, and you're almost there. <laughs> <laughs> H, yeah. I love it. Um, 
Why don't we make a left turn at Albuquerque and head on down to the canteen for a tea break? I think we'll see Mr. Uh, uh, a well-known rabbit there as well. We'll be right back. Hello, Unanimous. This is Mr. Brandon. And this is Mr. Jeff. Did you wake up this morning and think, how could I support my favorite podcast while also letting the world know that I'm a proud member of the Unanimous? Does your morning coffee vessel leave you feeling neither one way nor the other? Perhaps your smartphone cover fails to confirm your charm, personality, vitality, and youth. Worry no more. Visit our That Does Suit Madam online bargain basement shop. They've just come in. You could buy your very own That Does Suit Madam official tote bag. A handbag? Or an official podcast sofa pillow. Perfect for hiding your Paddington bear. We sell a fashionable face mask and a celebrated coffee cup. And of course, t-shirts. But don't worry, you'll find the sleeves right up with wear. Support your favorite podcast with some That Does Suit Madam merch. All at imfree.threadless.com imfree.threadless.com And you've all done very well. You know, I can tell Deidre uh, was on staff uh, as the cleaning crew last night because uh, there's a lot of foam in my cup of tea, and I think she used way too much Vim. <laughs> Good throwback. Is that right? Is it Vim or Viv? No, Vim. You got it right. Vim. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? How How is your canteen? I just had a passiona. Oh, okay. Oh, That's another uh, Commonwealth. <laughs> Completely different show. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Um, so where were we in the episode? So so we cut back, and Mrs. Sokum is in the makeup chair, is um, in... Um, the cloakroom doing makeup and she okay. comes out very oily and can't move her facial muscles. She's trying she to ameliorate the fact that she looks like she's 110 according right. to Mr. Fortescue. So she used an, an anti-recall cream and came out looking like Patsy Stone in Parallax. Oh, from she, Fab. <laughs> she can't move her facial oh. and so I have to say, you know what she reminded me of? So of course she comes out and she's supposed to like look no, without wrinkles, but she looks very shiny and stuff. Right. But if you listen to the way she sounds, she sounds like Margaret Thatcher. She looks like Amanda Lepore and sounds like Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> yes. I mean, have you heard Amanda Lepore speak? That's true. <laughs> she sounds like Amanda Lepore. But what did she say? I, I'm trying to think of the things, but, but she talks kind of like this, which if you see the Iron Lady, this is what she sounds like. It's right. like her. It's like her jaw is wired shut. But right. yeah. Mrs. Slocum adds on the thing where she can't close her lips, so like most <laughs> of her consonants come out like G's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So um, good. And so, uh, Mr. Fortescue is trying to hurry things along, and he says, "I don't mean to swank, but I'm due at D. H. Evans in half an hour." I didn't know what D.H. Evans, but it, because he doesn't want to sound like he's swanky, which means it's probably like a posh place. Yeah, right? that, that's exactly right. Yeah, swank yeah. as a verb is to show off. He doesn't want to come off as swanky. Uh, it's a department store. It's now known as House of Fraser. Oh, yeah. yes, quite posh. So, right there in Oxford Circus, very, pretty much across the street from Selfridges, um, very posh. Okay. Yeah. Mrs. Slocum is trying to say the lines, but because she can't move her jaw or her lips, <laughs> she can't enunciate at all. So they decide to, you know, can, can, can't this girl do it? And they get Miss Brahms to do it. Okay, because she's a and, grown woman. Right, but she, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. 30 years old almost, but she's a girl. Uh, and old Mr. Grace comes down to watch, and Miss Brahms recites the first of her lines in her normal East London accent. Tell her she sounds like a fishwife. <laughs> which is um, a fisherman's wife. So she sounds common, right? Makes me think, what type of wife do I want to be? Corporate. Um, corporate. <laughs> um, house. House. Fish. fish. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're doing a lot of like non are you being sir quotes to this. A lot of references to Catherine. That Kim, was Catherine. As Kim, per use, right? Yes. So Humphreys tries to counsel and says, well, can you make it a little more upmarket? <laughs> This is so good. <laughs> and then she goes, roll up, roll up. We got lots of good deals on today. Like she's at a marketplace. Like if you think of Albert Square on EastEnders 
or the Portobello Road. How the the buskers will like the t- the touters will get you to come to their market stall. Right, right. So like for the for the posh society quality person of the United Kingdom, um, the idea of someone shouting in a market, "Roll up, roll up," you know, is like the most low low standard, common as muck kind of thing because you might order your your salmon roe from harrods and they deliver and it's a lovely porter you know a livery man who delivers or whatever there's but, no milk haven't harrods been yet yes exactly <laughs> so like the the lowest um possible thing you could ever imagine is one going to the marketplace right is but buying two, something off the street right but then like the people um uh who would say roll so as an american when i was like a 14 year old when i first heard roll up roll up it wasn't from are being served but it was from the beatles so if you're a beatles fan um the magical mystery tour album which was right after sergeant pepper mm-hmm. um the lyrics to the song from which the album is named it, the lyrics begin roll up roll up for the mystery tour so ah. the Beatles are from like working class background, proud Northern English people, Liverpool, whatever. Back then, if you're at a marketplace, you would try to get people to come to your stall, and the command you would shout is "Roll up, roll up," which means "Come look what I have," right? Look no. what I, look what I'm selling at my wares, right? That's why it's so <laughs> funny that Miss Brahms is like "Roll up, roll up," because she thinks market. Oh, okay, right. like in a market. She's so lower class. She doesn't even think about up market means posh and lovely. Posh, right? Yeah. So Humphreys has to tell her, no, think of Angela Rippon and Anna Ford, who were newsreaders at the time. Okay. And then she pits on her famous posh accent, which I uh, love, right? Can you do it? Just read it. We have suits and trousers in blues and brines for around and about 100 pounds. Oh, very nicely done. <laughs> well done, you. <laughs> love it, right? <laughs> None of those voices suit Mr. Fortescue, but he overhears the nurse talking to old Mr. Grace. Come on, it's time for your special medicine. Medicine, uh, right. And so he says, well, get her to do it, and then Miss Brahms will mime. So she hides behind the counter, right? Uh, and so they, they do the whole bit, and it's going to get filmed, and we think that's the, the end of it, right? The next scene, the closing bell rings. There are customers still in the store, and Peacock ushers the customers out, and the ladies already have their coats on and putting on the dust claws before the bell is even rung. Okay. Right, which I think is... I don't know if Captain Peacock has been getting lax lately about you know, <laughs> making sure that people are following the rules, but it's 529, and they've got their coats on already? Like, I never... Mr. Jeff is already plotting the downfall of uh, Grace Brothers years in advance <laughs> on a spreadsheet. And it all happened when that happened on the Exactly, right? So episode. Mr. Yeah. Harmon brings over a note for Miss Brahms addressed to the girl from the advert, right? The whole thing is that they've been showing the commercial and it's worked and they're getting a lot of foot traffic and they're busy and they're doing well in sales, right? Well, it turns out that she's got a secret admirer. Ooh. He, he, um, his car broke down in front of the store because his Ferrari ran out of petrol. While he was waiting for the chauffeur to bring, his, bring the rolls, um, he was enraptured by her deep, seductive voice and wants to have dinner for her tonight, with her tonight, and he's going to phone the department at 5.30 for her answer. Are you ready right. for a hot take? Yes. This should have been cleaved into a separate episode. There's too much going on. Um, there, I, 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 I'll be the one to say it. Okay. So how would the TV commercial have resolved itself? So there's been another TV episode, right? There's the, been a million other TV right, episodes. Right. With the, um, and I got it all from Grace Brothers, that one. Um, Bong, peas are down today. <laughs> and then we have the CB radio ad in the future, which is yep. amazing. Um, I don't know. It just seems like... Okay, now we have to do this whole thing where we've we've had a we've had a TV commercial, and that was a lot of fun, right? And now we have to do this thing where there's a secret admirer. Oh, and now we have to go to a restaurant. We haven't even talked about the dinner yet, which is the funniest part. Yeah, it's, there's a lot. I don't know. It just seems like maybe because we've been lulled into this false sense of season eight ishness. Yeah, season eight is just like what's a false sense of 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 complacency where like okay, there's three jokes, eh, it's all right episode. 
you know. I, I will buy your hot take for a dollar. Okay. Yeah. All right. I was I would have taken fifty cents, so I'll take a dollar. <laughs> so she tries to make up an excuse that she's having dinner with Mater and Peter at Romano's this evening. Ooh. But he says that he's he's gonna meet them there and dinner's on him. And of course, we forgot to say that he he lives in a detached castle. He lives in a detached <laughs> castle. <right? laughs> because um, that is so cute. I love her. Yeah. Oh. Um, and so she's all worried that she's lost the plot, that she's there's no way she's going to be able to make it up. Yeah. But then we get into everyone's going to play pretend that there's uh, they go to the restaurant. They're going to play pretend. They're going to pretend that they're posh. And I love whenever they do this. <laughs> this is just like the takeover all over again. Yes, exactly. And I love that. Um, the So the very first scene you see Mrs. Slocum is wearing a fucking pink neon wig. Yes. And her whole outfit is like. Match to her wig. To, to and match it's all to the hot wig. Pink. Nineteen eighty one must have been a very vibrant year in London. Um, so yeah, Mrs. Slocum is playing her mother, and Captain Peacock is playing her father, and there's someone else who's going to play um, his 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 friend, who's very high up in the ranks somewhere. We don't know where, right? Okay. So the uh, waiter uh, asks Mrs. Slocum. Um, a nice aperitif. He offers her a drink. <laughs> she says, and she says, can I say it? Yes. Oh, thank you. And they're my own. Because <laughs> she's so dead common that she thinks that he's commenting her décolletage or no, her No, her, her, her dentistry. Her dentistry. Her teeth. You have no. a nice pair of teeth. Yes. I thought she was saying a nice pair of tits. No. Well, He's both cut. jokes work because, thank you, they're my own. A nice pair of teeth. A nice pair of tits. I guess teeth makes more sense. <laughs> and so, Miss oh um, Brahms is trying to be classy and posh, and so she's trying to think of a cocktail that a posh person, she thinks a posh person would order. And so she goes, she's trying to remember what it's called and orders two John Thomases. <laughs> so I thought this was funny because she's trying to say Tom Collins. Sort right? of. So John Thomas is um, British slang for penis. Oh. Just like you take any other man's name, Dick, Peter, Willie, John Thomas, together as, as one word. Okay. Is the is a British um, slang for penis. Um, so she did meet a John <laughs> Collins, right? So a John Collins is a cocktail that's made with uh, Geneva gin, lemon juice, simple syrup, and soda water. And here in the States, we have Tom Collins, which just uses a sweeter kind of gin. But it's the same thing. It's basically gin and lemonade. And if you use bourbon instead, bourbon and lemonade, it's called a Ricky. You may have heard it of a lime Ricky. Which is mm. bourbon, bourbon, lime juice, simple syrup, and soda water. I'm getting thirsty. Yeah. We find out that Mr. Humphreys, of course, is playing the friend, and he's dressed up as a vicar. <laughs> <laughs> so Captain Peacock is convinced that he's going to um, that Hurley's going to that Hurley's going to see right. Lord Hurley is going to see right through it. He's never going to believe him as a vicar. But three priests who are leaving the restaurant bless the Monsignor and kiss him on both cheeks on the way out. So it's a passable costume. Right? And suddenly, like, Mr. Humphreys is – I think he says something like, I hope people will be convinced I'm, I'm who I'm trying to be. And then all of these guys walk by and he's like, kiss, kiss on both cheek, kiss, kiss on both cheek. Um, and then there's this weird, like, Jewish and joke the rabbi, in there. And then the, and the rabbi, rabbi shows up. Kisses his hand. <laughs> and then, like, he's like, ah, 24 carats, because Jewish people can only talk about diamonds or something. About gold, I, right, so, exactly. But, yeah, it was cute to see, you know, every dog gets his day, and that was Mr. Humphrey's day. <laughs> he got all that action from all those men. So they're still trying to plot out how they're going to play it. And he advises them, Miss Brahms, you speak as little as possible, and Mrs. Slocum, you drink as little as possible. <laughs> Which is we really all sad know what for happens, the show because right? you know, love her. Panic! Yeah. There's been a spanner in the works. <gasps> well, Mr. Grace comes in with the nurse and the secretary. Of course. So the other three duck under the table while. Um, he, Old Mr. Grace recognizes Captain Peacock. Oh, are you having a regimental like army reunion? Oh, yes, that's exactly what it is. Because he's right. dressed up like, like a brigadier, right? Right. <laughs> Mr. Humphreys says he's taking confession under the table. 
Won't be a moment just taking a, an emergency confession. <laughs> um, the waiter comes around to take their orders. And Miss um, Brahms, again, trying to think about what a posh person would say, orders a lobster thermostat. <laughs> so I, I suppose you know what that should have been. Yes. Do you know what it should have been? No. No. Okay. I just know, like, the cheesy bread from Red Lobster. That's all I know about lobster. So she's trying to order lobster thermidor. So basically, it's like, it's a twice-cooked lobster, right? You take the lobster meat out, you cook it in wine, you stuff it back into the shell, and you brown it under a grill. That's lobster thermidor. Okay. Thermostat. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Mr. Humphreys orders the venison. And the waiter lets him know that it's very well hung. This being a sex joke, <laughs> and, and th- Humphrey says something like, "I will have, n- I have nothing to, I want nothing to do with it, or something." I have, like I have no comment on it, one way or the other, right? Right. But when the waiter says the venison is well hung, he means that when the butcher took it to the abattoir, did oh, I get it right? See, um, they hung the the deer in such a way that it avoided rigor mortis and all the muscles would be tender. Yeah, because I That's think what with that game with venison with deer and stuff, like, I mean, this gets a little kind of creepy if you're a vegetarian, let's say, but yeah, you have to, with, with like cows and things, That's it doesn't really happen with like wild animals, like venison, deer, whatever, even though they're cultivated in the UK. Um, if you don't hang it from its limbs, um, the, the meat is... Yeah, the the meat is famous for becoming very tough. So he's saying, "Oh, it was well hung," meaning, "Oh, it's very tender because it was, you know, it's a higher quality of beef or uh, of meat." But of course, it means something different when you're Mr. Humphreys. And I think that kosher and halal preparations of meat are very similar. That there's a way that you have to um, yeah. hang the carcass so that the all of the fluids and the blood drains in a certain way. And I'm sure it's also to preserve the tenderness of the meat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mrs. Silkham finally orders a drink and uh, she asks the waiter to make it a big one. And so she, the waiter offers to bring her a Jeroboam. And so then she offers, no, just we'll Jeroboam on our own convenience. I wasn't don't really know what sure that what means. that meant. Explain, explain, please. <laughs> so I don't understand what her joke was supposed to mean, but when the waiter says, I can bring you a Jeroboam, he's talking about a size of wine bottle, right? I imagine it's just like this comically large for like, you know. That's exactly what it is, right? So a Demi is 375 mils, so it's half of That's a standard, half a bottle of wine. Okay. standard wine bottle, right? A standard wine bottle is 750 mils, and so... The next size up is called a magnum. So that's one and a half liters or mm-hmm. the equivalent of two bottles. Okay. The next size up is a double magnum, which is three liters, which is four bottles of wine. So if you, think of, if you think about those extra large bottles of Coke, the three liters bottles of Coke, mm-hmm. imagine that as wine. Hello. Now, a Jeroboam is four and a half liters, which is six bottles of wine. In one so, bottle. In one bottle. So if you're having, uh, you know, dinner for four, um, okay, a Jeroboam is a lot. But if you're having maybe dinner for eight, a Jeroboam could serve eight people nicely. And then if you, so I'm trying to think of the joke. We'll Jeroboam ourselves. Yeah, I don't know if that meant like we'll go to the loo by ourselves. I I, I was trying to figure out from the context and had her intonation and her prosody and I couldn't get it. Listeners, if you got the joke, please call the Peacock Hotline <laughs> and let us know. 662-PEACOCK. No. So Lord, Hur- Lord Hurley finally arrives. He's played by John Oxley, um, and he's famous for playing Peter Cartland in The Cedar Tree, which was a serial about an upper-class family in the 30s, very similar to the plot of Downton Abbey. And so oh. this was an ongoing show. I think it lasted for about three or four seasons. So he was well-known for that. He hears the nurse's voice from across the restaurant. He'd recognize it anywhere and immediately goes to Mr. Grace's table and skips by Miss Brahms altogether. So Captain Peacock orders the um, garçon, orders the waiter over and says, we order the pheasant, the lobster, the venison, the pâté de foie gras, the guinea fowl and the champagne. 
Um, can you change that to egg and chips four times in a pot of tea? Because they know that Hurley is not going to be footing the bill because he's in love with the nurse. Oh, yeah. And I have to say, I have Miss um, uh, Brahms, um, Wendy Richard, the camera p- cut to her looking disappointed. Yeah. And I've never seen her look more beautiful than in that shot. Her eye makeup, her hair's done in this different way where it kind of comes out and then back to the top again. So it has this beautiful, soft, almost like Edwardian kind of look. Yep. Um, just really pretty in that scene. And it's really sad because you can see she was so excited to meet this, you know, Lord guy. And then um, I think the, the nurse says... He, say, he says to the table, would you mind if I join you? And then the nurse says, as far as, as, far as I'm concerned, you can stay the rest of my life. <laughs> Which means, you know, poor Miss Brahms. Is, poor Miss doesn't even have a chance. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I've been saying for a while that Series 8 is a series of meh episodes. And considering that I forgot all about this one, I think this is the little shining star. Yeah, the I, have to, I mean, so far. I said it should have been cut into two episodes. Maybe that was just because we're getting used to like, eh, you know, episodes. There's yeah. a lot going on in this one. Maybe that's what the other episodes had is there's a lot going on in them. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, this yeah. is a good one. Next week, we get a memorable episode. This one I do remember. And this one has a lot in it, but it does get a little maudlin for a second. It's the erotic dreams of Mrs. Slocum, where she falls in love with Mr. Humphreys and turns to alcohol to console her unrequited love. Aww. So there's, a, there's like a, a, a brief moment where she's not a funny drunk anymore, and it's just kind of sad. But we do think that he drunk Mrs. Slocum, so yes, it, it definitely weighs, weighs that out there. I don't remember much of that one, so it'll be fun to re to relive that one. Yeah. So, yeah. listeners, if you if you understood what the Jared Boehm joke was, or you want to tell <laughs> us about, um, if you want to tell us about your fa- first memory of pop culture or anything else about our show, you can get in touch with us on Facebook or on Twitter, or you can write us an old fashioned email at that does suit madam with an e at gmail dot com. Or you can call us on the Peacock hotline at 662-PEACOCK. That's 662-732-2625. Or you could always record a voicemail and email it to us. What do you think if we do a segment in the future where we offer advice as told by Mr. Humphreys or Ms. Slocum? Listeners can call the Peacock hotline with their problem and ask for advice and on the show, we play their message, and then we give our advice via Mr. Humphreys or Mrs. Slocum, to which they can can indicate in their message whose advice they would want. I think it's a great idea. <laughs> Listeners, you tell us. us <laughs> if we us don't know. get any submissions, that's the answer. <laughs> anyway, and with that, Mr. Jeffrey... As we always say, you've, you've all, all done, done very, very well. well. Bye, Unanimous. Bye. That Does Suit Madam is not endorsed by the BBC, and it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Are you being served as a copyrighted program of the BBC? You should always independently verify the identity and any individual claiming to be a representative of That Does Suit Madam or the Northern Mississippi Compound.